presence by Jesus, the only one who could open the scroll. So speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I decided something this morning. I decided that I'm actually going to extend the Rooted series in two more weeks because there's more things that I want to talk about when it comes to being rooted in spiritual disciplines. And on the 5th, so uh, next week we're going to talk about fasting and some other things found in the Gospels. And then on the 5th, uh, we're going to talk about something. I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about yet, but I've been wrestling with it for about six months. And you're going to hear it, and you've never heard it before, I almost guarantee it. But it's biblical. I'm not making up anything new. I'm just looking at what the Bible says about a couple things. And so that's my, I don't do trailers well, like movie trailers. I don't do those well, but you don't want to miss the next few weeks. Right? We're going to talk about uh, uh, fasting and solitude and all these things that Jesus did next week. Pastor Tim's on the 29th, and then February 5th, God's going to blow your mind. Okay, so come, be here, be a part of it. Uh, we are continuing in our rooted spiritual disciplines. And last week I talked about balance and, and the need and necessity to be balanced. And I was thinking about balance this week. And uh, I, the Olympics frustrate me. The Olympics frustrate me. First of all, well, no, okay. Um, the opening ceremonies is just one big pagan ritual. And then... I have to pretend to care about sports that I haven't thought about for years, right? In the last four years, I have not thought about the luge once. <laughs> Do you even know what the luge is? It's where you lay on the bobsled thing. It's the single one and you go down. And yet when the Olympics come around, I have to act like my patriotism as an American rests on how hard I cheer for the luge. I don't care. Like, and I'm sorry for all the people who have, like, pursued luge as a lifestyle choice. I just don't care. I, I, but it sucks you in sometimes, though, right? Because for about a day, I cared about archery. I was, I was watching a match between, it was between Italy and somebody else, and I was rooting against Italy pretty hard. And I'm sitting there like, make the arrow in the bullseye. But I haven't done that since because I don't really care. But I cannot like the Olympics, but then still, still be impressed by the athleticism that Olympics bring, right? One of the things is women's gymnastics. I don't care about women's gymnastics. I really don't. But man, they're impressive, right? These, these young women, they're flipping three times in the air. They're doing things that, that, that come easy to them that if I did them, I'd strain a muscle in my back just trying it. And one thing I was thinking about was the balance beam. Have you ever been on a balance beam? Like a, if you go to like a, a gymnastics gym and they're letting the parents in or, or you go to a trampoline park and there's a balance beam? I get on that balance beam and I'm like this. And I, there's foam like two feet under me and I know that it's gonna catch me, but I'm still like, ooh. 
okay. And then if I get really brave, I'll be like, hey, hey, kids, watch. I'm going to jump. <laughs> right? But you watch, these, you watch these young women on the balance beam, and they're like double flipping with a twist and then landing on this little thing that's like that. One slip up for a man, and you're done. Men, you know what I'm saying, right? And they're flipping and twisting and jumping and leaping. And I'm just sitting there. I wish I had that. I don't really, but for about one week out of every four years, I wish I could go on a balance beam. Right? See, and so it's like that with our, our spiritual lives. We have this balance beam. And there's some people who have been disciplined for, for a very long time. And they know the benefit of uh, the things that we were talking about in this healthy balance last week was experience and then spiritual disciplines. And, and they are able to go and do flips and twists. And sometimes you watch them or you listen to them pray and you're like, wow, that's incredible. And maybe you're just, you're just barely walking into this and so you're the one that's going, okay. And you don't want to go too much over to experience and just all experience, all power, because you'll fall. And you don't want to go all the way over to just discipline, 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 because you'll fall. And here's the thing. Just like those Olympians practice for balance, we need to practice balance as well. Like actively practice it. It's not something that just comes easily. Right? So one day, you'll be the one that's flipping and twisting and leaping and jumping. And then when you get to heaven, you can go and then bow. And God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Because look, if you only pursue spiritual discipline without experiencing the power, tangible power and presence of God where you are right now, then you'll risk falling over into legalism. Because there will be no life in it. And you'll just be like, I do this, I do this, I do this. But there's no real life there because Jesus hasn't actually met you in the discipline. And then if you're going too much over ex for experience and power, then you're going to fall and you're going to fall into a pool that's about that deep because it's shallow. Because there's no depth to it because you're not in spiritual discipline. And experience gives life to discipline. And discipline gives lasting change to experience. You want your spiritual disciplines to come alive? Actually meet with Jesus in the midst of them. You want your experience to pursue long-lasting change so you're not back for the same thing in six months, where you're not dealing with the same things you've been dealing with your whole life, where when you're set free from something now, you're not back in it a year from now? Be rooted in spiritual disciplines for lasting change. And so this morning, we're going to talk about conversation about conversation. I'm going to be in Hebrews 5 this morning. And if you want to join me there, I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. Just three verses. And I'm not going to go through them right away. I'll go through them later. But here's what Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 10 says. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayer and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. 
And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's the word of the Lord. And I'm not going to talk about Melchizedek, so don't get your hopes up. <laughs> when I was reading this chapter, I was like, oh, I'd love to do Melchizedek, but we don't have three hours with no real outcome. We're going to talk about prayer this morning. We're going to talk about prayer. And first, before we start, I want to just talk a little bit about what prayer has become. And if you haven't experienced this, well, glory to God that you haven't experienced. But I'm going to guess that most of us have experienced this, what I'm about to lay out. Because to the modern Western church, prayer has largely become reading off a list. And I'm not against lists, so don't, don't, say that you, don't say that I'm saying you can't have a list. You can have a list. But here's what I mean by reading off a list. We come, we say we're going to have our five minutes of prayer in the day. I just got done with three hours of Netflix, but I'm going to have five minutes of prayer. And so I'm going to go down and I'm going to say, okay, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Amen. Back up. Prayer's done. Right? That's what we do. That's what it's largely become. And we wouldn't say that that, and most of us would say, yeah, it's kind of become that. But I think also, just as many of us would say, but I don't want that. I don't want that. When that becomes my prayer life, when I find myself just going to God when I need something or when things are difficult, I step back and I have to say, I don't want that. I actually want more than that. And so when I say that this is kind of what the modern Western church has done and has, uh, it's, the, it's the implications of what they teach, I'm not saying that people don't want more. I think we all want a little bit more. But we all know this feeling of what I'm talking about. It's largely just become a one-way street in which we talk, and when we're done talking, prayer's over. Can you imagine, can you imagine that my wife is in the kitchen and she's cooking dinner and I'm coming home from work and I walk into the kitchen and she says, hi, Lord Charles, how was your day? So <laughs> I make her, no, I don't. She says, hi, honey, how was your day? Because that's what my wife wants. She wants to hear about my day. I don't want to talk about my day, but she wants to hear about my day. Right? And she says, okay, honey, how was your day? And I see what she's cooking, and I say, I want my steak medium rare. Can you make sure that there's onions with the green beans because I like the sweetness that they add? I'd like uh, a root beer with dinner, and I need it done by 5.30. Thanks. And then I walk out, I sit down on the couch, and I turn on the TV. <laughs> I'm not getting dinner that night. Or if I am, I'm having to drive to Arby's. And that's just because it's the closest fast food place to my house, not because I like it, okay? But that's where I would go. But this is what we do to God. God's there and he's just like, hey, tell me about your day a little bit. Talk to me. Be with me. Meet with me. I'm like, God, give me this, give me this, give me this, give me this. Got it? Did you write it down? Are you going to remember? Cool. Oh, may it be done according to your will. Amen. Because if we add that on, it makes it really holy. But this is largely what it's become. And that's why when, when non-believers see the effect of prayer and Christians ourselves, 
they, they believe that prayer is just dry and ineffective. Oh, you pray? Yeah, has it actually made a difference in your life? Can you point to anything that God's done in your prayer? And then we as Christians, we all have fought that. And we'll continue to fight it. But we'll fight this feeling that, God, do you even hear? Do you even care? Are you there? Why is my prayer so draining and boring and... We just believe, we've come to believe that it's dry and ineffective. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about some ways that the Bible shows prayer, and then I want to reset our minds around prayer. I don't want us to keep going in, in this kind of thought, this kind of list, dry, ineffective. We do it because we have to. Right? So let's look at the ways that there are prayer in the Bible. So in the Bible, we see that there are private prayer times and that there are corporate prayer times. Right, Jesus himself, he says, look, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says, go, be by yourself, shut the door, get everything out of the way, no distractions, and just go be with the father because the father sees you when you do that. And then don't be afraid of the last phrase. He will reward you. He will reward you. Salvation is by grace alone because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died taking our sins, disarmed every ruler and authority on the cross, triumphed over them by rising from the dead, and now sits in power at the right hand of God. That's the goodness of the gospel is that we don't do anything to earn that. Jesus already did it and paid the cost for us. Beauty. So much beauty in that. But then the Bible here makes clear, look, you do this, you'll reap rewards. You're obedient here, you will see the fruit of obedience. And so we come by grace and faith alone through Jesus. And yet he's telling you, pursue me, come after me, and you will see fruit. I will reward you. And the problem we get is that when we think reward, we think money. You're, you're, you're walking down the street and there's a sign on a, on a telephone pole and it's a picture of a nice little dog and it says, reward, lost dog. You go and you're walking down and you see that lost dog and you, you snatch it and you take it back to the, to the owner. And what are you expecting? 50 bucks. That's a small dog, 25, right? Depends how hard you had to work. But if the owner just said, oh, do you want your reward? And they said, yeah. They're like, okay, just come and hang out in my presence. Weirdo. Like, I'm running, I'm tearing down those signs, I'm putting a sign on that person's front lawn. Nothing, right? But this is what Jesus does. He says, you come to me, you get me. You get me. And the more time you spend in Jesus, with Jesus, the more time other people will look at you and be weirdo. And there are corporate prayer times as well. So that's the private. You get rewarded. And you know what? Sometimes the reward 
It might be financial. The reward might be something that you've been asking for. It might be. But that's not all it is. Then there's corporate. I quoted, I read this during our, our time in uh, Sunday morning prayer, which you should come 9.20 each Sunday. They hear the report that, that they're not allowed to preach in Jerusalem anymore, and it says, when they, the disciples and the people of God around them, when they heard that report, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They did not. When the Bible says they lifted up their voice, they lifting up their voice was not, oh, creator God who made everything in the earth. They lifted up their voices together. They lifted up their voices so much that what happens? The earth shakes. There are private prayer times and there are corporate prayer times. There are short prayers and there are long prayers. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Tim uh, talked about this uh, a couple months ago, uh, or no, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah chapter 1 is Nehemiah praying and and going before God for the people that were back in Jerusalem. He's in exile over here. Jerusalem's over here, and he's praying for these people. And he wants to build the wall. So he's been in prayer for it. And he goes before the king. And the king notices that Nehemiah is not as happy as usual. And the king says, what do you need, Nehemiah? Says to him, the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Do you see the prayer there? Here's how it did not go. King, Nehemiah, what are you asking of me right now? And Nehemiah did not go. I can almost guarantee I wasn't there, but I'm 99.99% sure. Nehemiah did not go. Hold on a second. Let me figure that out. Oh, God, creator of heaven and earth and everything in it, what do you want me to ask the king? That's not how conversations work. So the king asks him, Nehemiah, what are you requesting? Nehemiah prays really quick and then carries on with the conversation. You've had these prayers before. Somebody asks you a question. Your child does something that is going to spark anger in you. And you say, oh, God, just let me keep it together. God, give me the answer. And then you keep going. This is what Nehemiah did. It's a short prayer. The thing with Nehemiah is he doesn't need a long prayer because he's already been praying for the city. But this is what he gets. And there are long prayers. In Luke chapter 6, it talks about Jesus. And it says, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. Can you imagine just for a sec, what Jesus' prayer would have been like all night if he just had a list? God, I pray for the city of Nazareth. I pray for the region of Judea, I pray, for, I pray for John, and I pray for Nathaniel, and I really pray for Peter, and I pray for Thomas, and I pray. That's not how Jesus is praying. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fairly sure, but he was all night in prayer. And you know why he had to spend all night in prayer? Because you know what he does after this prayer is over? 
he goes and he chooses his 12 disciples. He has a big decision. He has a monumental decision that's going to shape the very foundation of the world. He is choosing 12 people that will have hospitals named after them 2,000 years later. And so he goes and he says, I'm going to stay here all night till I get what I need from you, Father. Incredible. Short prayers. Long prayers. Your prayers should come from your heart, but they can also be scripted at times. Right After Jesus says, go uh, in, the clo- in your room by yourself, shut the door, and pray, the very next thing he says, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So he says, so don't just do, say the same things over and over again, but understand that you can just come and just speak what's on your heart is the implication. So he's saying, pray from your heart, from what is within you. Let that bubble over. And then yet two verses down in the same Sermon on the Mount, and in Luke, they actually ask him again, tell us then how to pray. And then Jesus says, okay, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he gives them a script. He says, pray this. Let this be part of your prayer. And that's where uh, you can pray scripture. There's the apostolic prayers that Paul writes. He has two in Ephesians. He has one in Philippians. He has one in 1 Thessalonians. These times where he's praying for the church that he's writing to. You could read those and pray them for yourself, for your church, for the global body church as well. There are times where it can be for your heart, but there's times where, and I put that in quotes scripted, where It's written down and you pray through it. No matter how you pray or what you're praying for, be led by the Holy Spirit. Don't go into a time of prayer assuming that you know what you should be praying for. That's what we do. That leads to the lists. Well, I know that I'm struggling here, and I know that I want to pray for my family. I know that I want to pray for my job. I know that I want to pray for these things. And so we just go in, and we assume that that's what God wants us to pray for. But instead, what if we just sat and said, okay, God, what do you want me to pray for? What do you have for me right in this moment that you want me to pray for? Ephesians 6, 8 says that we should be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is right after he says to put on your armor. He says, put on your armor, wear it, be steadfast in it, and pray at all times in the spirit. Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. So the Bible just acknowledges what I said. We don't know what to pray for sometimes. And sometimes that's because we're just so overwhelmed that all we could do is say, God. But sometimes it's God wants us to pray for something else and we bring our own stuff in. So these are all the ways that we pray. 
what I want to present this morning is just a little bit of a prayer reset. If you grew up playing uh, regular Nintendo, right? Not you, not you people younger than me that got Super Nintendos or N64s or getting into Playstations and Xboxes. One of the worst things that could happen when you played on an old Nintendo system was I remember trying to beat Super Mario Brothers, right? And I remember getting to that last level, the, the third section of the last level, and these little turtles come out and they're throwing hatchets at you. They're very hard to pass. But if I got that far, the worst thing that could happen, if I got past them, the worst thing that could happen was somebody would just go up and hit the reset button. There was no auto-saving your, your progress, Right, If your friend was beating you 34 to 7 in Tech Mobile, you didn't finish the game. You got up and you kicked the reset button. And, so what I, and it starts all over. So I want us to just start all over really quick and kind of build up. When the, and here's the first point that you have to understand. When the Bible speaks about prayer, it assumes that prayer is transactional. If I'm making a transaction in a store, I say, here, I want this. And they say, okay, well, you have to give me something. And then when you give it, they give you what you've asked for. They give you what you'd like. And so what the Bible assumes is that when we pray, God responds. Not, not We don't pay anything and he gives us what we want. So the analogy breaks down there. But it's transactional is that we give something and then he gives back to us. That's what the Bible assumes. Jeremiah 33.3, right? He's talking to Jeremiah, but it has a truth that, that is true for all of us that he says to Jeremiah, he says, call to me and I will answer you. That's a transaction. That's a spiritual transaction of the highest order because the, the, the very creator of everything says, you talk to me and I will answer you. You call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and hidden things that you have not known. When we talk about, quote-unquote, scripted prayers, a couple months ago, this was my scripted prayer that I would pray. When I would pray, I would say, God, if I call to you, will you answer me and show me great and hidden things that I have not known? God, if I call to you, will you answer me and show me great and hidden things that I do not know? God, if I call to you, will you show me great and hidden things that I have not yet known? And I would just pray that, just pray that throughout the day. When we call, he answers, there's a transaction. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God. That's our part of the transaction. And then what he gives back and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's the transaction. You come to me with everything. You don't be anxious about it. You lay it at my feet. You ask what you need. You do all of that, and you get my peace. You come to me, you get peace. That's the transaction. This is the kind of thing that the Bible assumes. That prayer is effective, and you do it. And when you do it, you see results. 
and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There it is. Pray, pray in faith, you'll see people healed. Pray in faith, you'll see people's sins forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer reset that we need is that prayer is not meant to be a one-way street. It's not meant to be a one-way street. Go read the great, we, you've all heard the great prayers of the Bible, right? The one that, that people quote maybe the most, if my people who will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, that's part of it, and then there's the transaction. I will hear from heaven, I'll hear the land, I'll do all the good things that they've asked for. Jesus says if you ask and you believe what you have before you've asked, then you will get what you've asked for. Prayer is not a one-way street. There's these transactions. And so I've already started this, but now I'm kind of cementing it into uh, personal and faith church vernacular that most of the time when I talk to prayer, I'll just refer to it as conversation. That's what I'll, so you, I don't think that saying prayer is wrong because the Bible says prayer all over the place, right? And then you'll say, and all you Bible nerds will say, well, Charles, it doesn't say conversation anywhere in the Bible. And I'll say, yes, but I'm making, I'm contextualizing the truth of the Bible for our present moment where we are at right now. And our present moment needs to emphasize that it is a conversation. So Bible nerds, back off. I'm a Bible nerd too, but I still like making fun of them, okay? I wanna, I wanna tell you about when my wife fried my brain a few weeks ago. I don't even know what I was thinking about or dealing with or whatever. But it was, I was dealing with something and I was trying to figure out, okay, um, do I go this way? Do I go this way? What do I do about this? How, does, how is this all going to work? Right? And, and I want you to imagine for a second that, that you, um, you, you have a friend, they call you up, you want to go to lunch or coffee or dinner, and they sit down and like, I'm really struggling with something. I'm, I, I, I got this big decision to make, and there's like these three options, and I don't really know which way to go. I, I could go this way, I could go this way, and I could go this way. It's just, it's really confusing, and each of them has their benefits, and each of them has their detriments. I just don't know what to do. You have been conditioned to then say what? Have you prayed about it? And that's not a bad question. I'm just, I'm just saying that, that that's what we've been conditioned to do. And you can feel like a good friend and a good Christian and walk away from that conversation because you asked, have you prayed about it? But my wife fried my brain because she started to ask me this and then she paused for a second and then she said, have you listened to God about it? And I said, whoa, no, that's, no, that's the wrong thing. You're not supposed to say that. Like, you're just supposed to ask if I pray about it because prayer is easy. Because then I just pray and I act like I pray for him. Then I do what I want to do anyways. Right? Most of the time, your will be done though. But she asked me, have you listened to God about it? And I sat there and I said, huh. And that was it. That's the extent of my half of the conversation. Huh. But I've been thinking about that. 
That's the, that's the question to ask. Because yes, it's easy to pray about something. It's easy to, to say, okay, God, here's what I'd like. Here's what I don't know. Here's what I got. Got it. Amen. Over. But it's much harder to actually listen to hear what God answers you to the question, to the things you find yourself in. What are you really asking for when you pray? Are you asking for God to speak? Or are you just asking to do your own thing and put the nice Christian veneer on it? Have you listened to God about it? So if it is a two-way street, if it's not a one-way street, then we should listen when we ask. Go into your conversation time with God and expect first that he cares and that he'll meet you. Don't, don't, don't miss this first part, that he cares. He cares. He cares about the things that you're going through. He cares about the struggles that you're having. He cares about the victories that you've seen. He cares about the places where you're hurting and he cares about the places where you're rejoicing. He, compare, he, com, he cares about the places where you have sorrow and he cares about the places where you have joy. He cares for you. Cast all your cares, your fears, your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And actually expect that he'll meet you there. We want to have this conversation and we want to have a bedrock of this conversation going forward as a church. So we have the 50 weeks in the word and we're gonna do something for prayer just for the next three weeks. We're gonna do 21 days of prayer. 21 days of prayer, it starts tomorrow. Okay, starts tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, we'll embark as a church on 21 days of prayer at the church building. Okay, so if you want to be part of this, here is explicitly what I'm asking. For 21 days, I'm asking that at least one person comes to the church building and prays for one hour. That's what I'm asking. You pick the hour. Well, I work 9 to 5. You can come at 7. You can come at 7 a.m. You can come at 7 p.m. You pick the hour. You come. And the church elders and staff are leading the way, and we've already signed up for the first week. I start tomorrow. And then somebody has Tuesday. Alan Bradshaw has Tuesday. Abby has Wednesday. Amy has Thursday. Pam has Friday. Andy has Saturday. And then Sunday, our hour of prayer at the church building is the Sunday morning prayer before church but you pick the hour. And so you sign up for the next week's and it stops on February 5th when God's gonna blow your mind, okay? We've already established that through the teaching he's gonna blow your mind, but now through prayer he's also gonna blow your mind. So we've already signed up for the first week and I want other people to sign up for a day to come for an hour to pray. And I know what some of you are thinking. An hour? I can barely get through 10 minutes. I live that. I know that. I have this handy little guide that I made up. And it has 12, uh, it has 12 ways that we pray. 
And if you just prayed each of these 12 ways for five minutes, that equals an hour. Can you pray for five minutes? See, what the 12 steps do is you pray for one thing, and at the end of that prayer, you're kind of like, I don't really got much to go on. It's been five minutes. All right, and go to the new thing. And then your mind resets and you can go. And so when you come to the church, you will get one of these guides to help you pray. And I know what some of you are thinking. Can I have the guide ahead of time? No. You have to come to the building. No practicing prayer. No, that's, no. don't say that I said that. Don't quote me. Uh, you don't get it ahead of time. But when you come to the church, you'll be there. So it'll be fresh for you. So it'll be new for you. And I knew you were going to ask, Pam. So I hear you laughing. No, you don't get the guide ahead of time. Spouses can come together, or you can sign up with a friend of the same gender. We just don't want men and women praying here together alone. So you can sign up with your spouse. If you have somebody that you like to pray with, you can come with them. But this is how we continue to lay the foundation of prayer for Faith Church and for our people here. This is going to jumpstart something. I don't know what it's going to jumpstart, but it's going to jumpstart something. As we commit more to prayer, God will meet us, and I already said God responds to us when we pray, and so as we pray, God will respond, and something's gonna kick off. I just don't know what it is. So how do you sign up? I went to Staples, and I bought a big desk calendar, and it's on the back connect wall right now, and there's Sharpies with it. So you go and sign up for a day. Now, say uh, you want to sign up for um, next Tuesday, but somebody's already signed up. You can double up. You just, you don't have to come at the same time if you double up with somebody, right? They might come before work. You might come after. You might come in the middle of the day because your kids are at school. They might have to come later. So you can sign up on the same day as somebody and not feel like you have to come at the same hour. All I'm asking is that every day get taken up with one person coming for one hour, okay? I think I covered everything on that initiative. So you can sign up in the back on your way out. And please, no elbowing or pushing to get your day. I've seen you guys. So why do we jump into this discipline? Why do we jump into this discipline? Why do we have this conversation? Why do we make it a part of our everyday walk in friendship with Jesus? Why is that something that we do? One, because Jesus did it. This is the opening verse that I read. In the days of his flesh, so when Jesus was here on earth, he offered up prayers and supplications. Supplications is asking for things. So he's offering these up with loud cries. Jesus crying loudly in prayer. Like that kind of, it kind of jolts me a little bit because he's meek and mild and, and pray then like this. And yet he did it with loud cries and tears because he knew that the father was able to save him from death. And he was heard, the transaction. He comes with loud cries and tears and prayer and supplications and he was heard because of his reverence we get to approach a holy, powerful creator God. And so we should do so in reverence, not flippantly, 
Jesus did it. And we come into that same presence that Jesus entered into when we pray. And the writer of Hebrews says, do it with confidence. Go with confidence so that you will receive the mercy and the things that you need when you need them. There comes times in all of our lives where we desperately need God to move, where we desperately need something. And here the writer of Hebrews is saying, go in confidently to ask him. Because when you ask him, you receive, again, the transaction. Draw near to the throne, you receive mercy and find grace to help you in their time of need. Jesus did it. We come into his presence, and because it's effective. This is a passage that I read earlier, just expanded. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. This is not a righteousness that comes from your own works or from how good you've been that week or for how much you have been uh, following God in your disciplines and in experiencing him. That has nothing to do with the, in this case, because you are righteous before God because of the very act of Jesus dying for you on the cross. He makes you righteous. He makes you a saint. And so when you pray, it is effective in its working. Now, Having said that, there are times that as we are more obedient, in my life I've seen as I'm more obedient, there's an uptick in my effectiveness in prayer. But don't, don't, I want you to get away from the mindset that says, I can't come to him because I'm not righteous. No, Jesus made you righteous. And so your pay, prayer can have power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Don't put him up on a pedestal, James saying. He was just, he was like you. He was human. He, he suffered all the same things you did. He struggled with the same things you did. He got depressed and wanted to end his life just like some of you have. He was there. He was a man just like you were. But he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Forty-two months. Go figure out where else you can find that. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James is saying, if Elijah did it, you can do it. I've taught and I've said so many times that what Jesus has done, you can do. The Bible says that. The same works that I do, they will do in greater works, right? We sang, a, we sang that song. And, and I, I can get that. I understand that theologically and it makes sense to me. But it's actually kind of harder for me to believe that what Elijah did, I can do. Like I'm comfortable. Yeah, what Jesus did, I can do because Jesus said it. But I'm thinking about Elijah and the things that he did. He prayed for a woman's oil and cornmeal that it would keep going when it ran out. He prayed that fire would rain down on wet wood and and start a blaze. Elijah ran faster than a chariot. King Ahab was on a chariot, and what does Elijah do? I'm gonna beat him. 
He runs faster than a horse-drawn chariot. And now the Bible's saying, he did it, you can do it. Healthy growth. When it comes to conversation with God, here's what I want you to remember. You are a child of the living God. You are his child. He does not shut the door in the face of his children. He does not turn you away. You are his child. But if you only come to him when things get rough or you need something, you don't view him as a father. He's more like a gumball machine. I put in my quarter, I get my gumball. But we want to be rooted in God and experience healthy growth. So we want our conversations to be consistent. And as a church, that's what 21 days is. We're making our conversations with God consistent as corporate body for the next 21 days. Do not underestimate. Do not underestimate two things. Three things. Do not underestimate the power of God to respond to your prayer. Do not underestimate your ability to go and ask him for big, audacious things. And do not underestimate that your prayers have great power in their working. Because you are a child of the living God. So as we end, can you approach God's throne with confidence? If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the answer for you is not right now, no. But when you've made him your Lord and Savior, you can boldly approach the throne of grace. If you need to make that decision this morning, then wrestle with it. Wrestle with God this morning before you leave. And now for us who have made that decision, do you believe that you can actually go with confidence? You know what strips our confidence? Sin. You know how to get that confidence back? Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. So you can draw in with confidence to God. Will you reset your mind and go from prayer to conversation? Will you expect the two-way street? And then lastly, will you join in the 21 days of prayer? That's why I want you to think about as we end this morning with one more song, if anybody is experiencing any throat problems, I'd like to pray for your throat this morning. Um, You can come during our reflection time or you can come afterwards and find me and I'd love to pray for your throat. Um, But let's stand together. And as we offer up, as we offer up praise and prayers during this time, start to condition your mind. Start to train your mind now that your prayers are powerful and have effect because you can boldly approach him because he is your loving father. Father, I pray that we would just 
set everything aside when it's those times that we enter into conversation with you when it's those times where we speak and listen where it's those times that you want to meet with us humble us to come with the proper reverence but lift us up Father enough to know that we can do so with confidence Father be with us as we, we just end focused on you what you want and what you have 